that in the weeks to come. Promise, lots more. Let me, let me tell you where we're going to be today. We are into week 19. Oh, this is really cool. One of the things they've asked me to do is to come over and as part of our team and team leader to teach what they're running, their new discipleship training school, be a guest lecturer. And uh, they want me to lecture to every day while we're there for about two and a half hours, which is ridiculous. I mean, I'm long-winded, but like, that's crazy. But guess what they asked me to kind of teach on? Yep, Philippians. So... <laughs> All righty, I got it. So we are week 19 in the book of Philippians, so I'm on this. So, uh, uh, you know, the Lord works these things out. Can't believe it. So we are going to get all up in that Philippian stuff. So I, I'm good there. But we are in night, week 19 in the book of Philippians. I'm excited about this. We're coming to a close. We're going to we're gonna wrap up today with kind of Paul's last movement of teaching and exhortation and command in the letter. And then the next couple of uh, little on the way out, Paul's going to give a bunch of high fives and say, thank you for coming. Tell your parents I said hi. Like, it's just going to be a bunch of, like, personal. But this is sort of the last kind of movement in this letter. And for the past two weeks, we've looked at two, uh, four verses, and we looked at four commands that Paul has, calls, exhortations, mandates, whatever word you want to use. And we look at that, those calls, and we watched Paul follow them with a promise. And so we explored two, the, uh, two weeks ago, and we explored two last week. And they were the call to kind of to live a life of joy, to um, live gently, to not be anxious or live in worry and to present our request to God. And we opened those things up and we explored them in the call. And, and then Paul gave us this promise. And he said that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That if we begin to live these truths out, these calls, these commands, God's peace will, which transcends all of our understanding, which makes no sense to the world, which in the middle of chaos brings about tranquility, that peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. And we've watched Paul from the moment of the open this letter as he moved through teaching the church to be about humility and about reconciliation and about harmony and about singular message to a deep call for theology in which the Philippians could base all of their other teaching on through here. And we've watched Paul unpack these truths and lead us to this place. And we've got to keep in mind the Philippian church is very actively facing and living in the middle of persecution. Um, it is not an easy place to be a believer. There's only a handful of them. And they're living in the middle of poverty, and they're living in the middle of a place where there are no other believers, and that every day of their life might be the day that they lose their life for following Christ. It costs them everything. And not to mention that, there's even a little bit of division in the church. We talked about it three weeks ago. There's some arguments going on. And so Paul's writing a letter to people that are very much engaged in a difficult time in their faith. And this isn't all fun, high five, pats on the back, like life is good. It's life is real. And so in the middle of real life and real difficulty and real struggle, Paul is giving very real commands to Christians to live their life in a certain way. And this week, what we're going to look at is another call followed by another promise. But this call is going to be a little bit different because it's going to take place completely and totally in the way that we think. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to flip to Philippians chapter 4. Um, and we're going to be in verses 8 and 9, two verses uh, this morning. So before we open God's word together, let's take a moment and uh, let's just pray. Lord, I thank you for Rhonda um, and for her words and that her words echo many of uh, our words that we're able to experience um, just what you're doing in China and these believers. And uh, God, I thank you for her boldness to just get up and share and her boldness to return. Uh, God, I pray that you would go before us and, and uh, God, prepare the way. Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts, that you would meet us in the middle of our life, whatever that means, that you would speak to us in a new and powerful way. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to, to teach you something new this morning. Whatever that means for you, just ask God to move in you. Just ask him to, to do something in your life, in your heart. 
Take a moment and pray for someone beside you or around you. I, I mention this each week. Pray, be in the habit of praying for other people. Even if you don't know their name. Even if you think it's kind of weird, just pray for them. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word, which is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. Father, your word, an encounter with your word is an encounter with you, and so we don't take it lightly. We love you. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his holy and risen name we pray. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at two verses, 8 and 9, and and what we're going to hear is another exhortation, command, call, mandate, whatever word you like there, by Paul, um, kind of directly related to the way um, that we think. So let's look at verse 8 together, and then we'll just kind of work through a couple of truths this morning. Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So we see a very similar kind of call, command here from Paul. But this one is taking place around the way that we think. Now, I don't know about you, but I I wonder how often your life um, really sits down and reflects on and thinks about things that really matter. Very seldom for me is this something that takes place often in my life, where I sit down and reflect on and think upon things that really matter. Most of what happens in my day is that I go from one event, one 30-minute window, to another 30-minute window, to another 30-minute window, just to make it to the end of the day, to sit there at 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night and say, did I do anything that really mattered? I very, spend very little time in deep kind of contempl- uh, contemplative thinking about things that matter. Most of us feel like we're stuck in a cycle of a busy life that goes from one event to the next, to the next, to the next, to picking up our kids, to coaching baseball, to doing whatever, to finally get everybody down and then sit there and look at our husband or our wife or at yourself or, or, or in front of the TV and just go, what was today like? And so as believers, we sprinkle in maybe a little bit of prayer time here and there. We try and knock out a little bit of Devo so that we feel like we've done something spiritual, but we're trapped in a pattern of going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And somehow a Sunday turns into Saturday, and a Sunday turns into Saturday, and the weeks just go by. What Paul is calling these believers to in Philippi is something very real, and he's calling them to something very, very important, vital to the Christian life. And I want to lift out two truths this morning really quickly that I want you um, to kind of see. And I'm doing something a little bit different because it would have been really easy or a little bit easier for me to unpack each of these things and talk about what's lovely and what's admirable and what's pure. But I want to make a different movement and I want you to bear with me this morning because I want to push you in a different direction. And really this is because this is something that I need to engage in. All right, so I figured you could just listen to me talk to myself. Meditation is vital to the Christian life. Okay, so hear me say that. Sounds a little weird, but hang on to it. First truth is this, meditation is vital to the Christian life. Now listen to what Paul says. He says all these things, whatever is true or admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That word think that we get there is actually the Greek word logizomai, which doesn't really mean think. All right, What it means is to weigh out, to contemplate, to meditate on. When we look at it here and it says think about such things, we can, we can kind of look at that as a, some kind of fleeting thought. Yeah, I thought about it. You know, I, I, that kind of idea of thinking can be in one ear and out the other. It doesn't do justice what Paul's saying. 
What Paul is really saying is whatever is true, admirable, right, excellent, praiseworthy, lovely, all those things, I want you to meditate on, think about, contemplate, weigh them, wrestle with them, churn them through. I want you to meditate and focus and think deeply on those things. Now, the type of meditation that Paul is talking about is not some kind of New Age spiritualism or some kind of even kind of meditation that we can anticipate in yoga or in some kind of self-help religion section of the bookstore that calls us to an emptying of the mind. Almost all that type of meditation calls us to clear our mind. This type of meditation is never mentioned in Scripture. In fact, what Paul's saying is exactly the opposite. Instead of emptying our mind, he is calling us to fill our mind with things that matter. Christian meditation is focused on filling our minds with God's truth and God's promises. And then churning those things and turning them over and over and over again in our lives. This is what Paul's calling us to. In fact, that meditation that calls us to empty our mind is actually dangerous. What Paul calls us to is to fill our mind with the things that matter. And not just fill it, but to begin to really think about how they affect me and how they apply to me and how they should change the way that I live and the way that I think. But this is such a foreign concept to most of us because most of us were raised in a Christian culture that challenges us to like the five-minute Devo window. Like I know that each day I need to do some kind of devotional, read something to take up a little bit of my day so that I can say I spent some time with the Lord and I can feel better about that. And so we get a devotional that's got a little bit of a verse and a little bit of read, and that's what we engage in if that. Sometimes we go the opposite route, which is, okay, I'm going to do a Bible study, and it's nine pages worth of stuff that I just read and fill in and read and fill in and read and fill in, and that's great and all. But neither of those things are what Paul's talking about. What Paul's talking about is a deep thinking on the truths and promises of God. He's telling us that meditation in the Christian life is vital, and you want to know why it's vital? Because meditation in the Christian life calls us into relationship, deep relationship with Jesus. We can very much exist in a devotional life, read a few things by this author or that author, and never actually have to deal with Jesus. I can fill my life with Christian activities and never have to deal with Christ. But when I'm called to meditate on God's word, and I say this each week, an encounter with God's word is an encounter with God. These are God's spoken truth. When I meditate on God's promises and God's truth, I am dealing with the Lord. And the reason that that's so complicated, number one, is because it involves me giving away my time. And my time is valuable to me. My life is broken down in 30-minute windows. And for me to give away part of that time to the Lord is hard. It takes commitment and sacrifice. It takes movement. The second reason that we're not used to this is because we are filled with things, activity, and noise. And so sitting alone with our thoughts with God's word is a very foreign idea. Feels awkward. Right? I'm not reading something that somebody else told me to think about God. I'm actually engaging with God's word myself. What does this mean? What does this look like? Christian meditation calls us into relationship with Jesus. To be able to think on and reflect on and churn through God's truths and God's promises. The things that are right and admirable and lovely and beautiful. The truths and characteristics of God's very nature. This is one of the things, and I don't do a lot of things well, but this is one of the things I do poorly, is reflecting deeply on God's truth in my own life and letting it penetrate and churn through all my thoughts. 
And we can look and break down what each of those words means and what is noble and admirable and lovely and pure and all those kind of things. But it doesn't, what matters is that those are attributes of who God is. And what Paul is saying to this very real group of believers, this group of Philippian believers that are facing persecution every day of their life, that are living in abject poverty and that are facing division in their church, that are struggling beyond struggle. He's saying, look, don't work your way out of this. Spend time with Jesus. Meditate on, think through the truths of God. I find that remarkable. I find it remarkable because our kind of inclination as followers of Christ is to work our way out of our struggles. Hey, I'm not doing well spiritually, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to Mardell's and I'm going to buy four new books on how to get myself out of this mess. And I'm going to work my way towards it. I'm going to make sure I don't miss church. I'm going to go to this class. And every time the doors are open, you will see me there because I'm going to work my way out of this stagnant, restless pond I'm in. Paul says the opposite. He says, listen, think about, meditate on, reflect on God and his truth. Get into deep relationship with him. Take the books and stuff and put them aside for a moment and open up God's word and say, God, I want to know how this changes me. Paul tells us that Christian meditation, I use Christian not as some kind of cliche subculture kind of word, but as a way of differentiating between the worldly picture of meditation that's looking for some kind of inner consciousness and tranquility. But Christian medication, uh, meditation, like, <laughs> trying to think about what that would be like, the old Christian medication. But Christian meditation is vital, vital, vital to our spiritual lives. The second truth we see in there is, is actually really related uh, to that one. And it's, it's really the call to cultivate, to cultivate godly desires. That we are called to cultivate godly desires. The reality is, and a few weeks ago we talked about this and we talked about worldliness, that the world was going to bombard us with lies. It's going to try and transform the way that we think about ourselves, about our relationships with people, about the things that we desire, about what success and failure looks like, about what we need to be happy. The world is going to bombard us with that. The only active way to really combat and fight those lies is to cultivate a set of desires that are God's. To be able to understand the differences the difference of what God desires for you and what God desires for me and what the world desires. We've got to be willing to cultivate godly desires. Now, here's what I mean by that. As, as a Christian female in here, there's a high probability that you wrestle with or have wrestled with or are actively wrestling with your self-image. The things that you look at when you see in the mirror, when you see yourself in the mirror. The things that you think about yourself, the way that you look, who you are. The things that you think about when you walk in a room and you look at other people and you think, how do I compare to who they are, to what they have, and to how they look? We're bombarded with the lies of the world that tell us that we have to look a certain way to be accepted and appreciated. When we begin to cultivate God's desires for our life, we ask a different set of questions. And those questions are filled with our concept of meditating on God's word. Instead of living into those lies, I begin to ask myself, God, what does it mean when you tell me I'm beautiful in Scripture? God, what does it mean when you call me beloved? And I begin to churn through those things in my mind, and I begin to really contemplate if the God of the universe breathed life into me, and he called me and told me that I was made in his image, and that I am beloved and beautiful and fearfully made. Why do I believe a lie when I look in the mirror? Why do I size myself up against all of my friends and continue to hate what I see? Christian meditation on God's word when coupled with a desire to change my desires, 
to realize that God has more for me begins to alter the way that I think. Because at the end of the day, our call should be to say, God, I want what you desire. I want to think the way that you think about me. It's not just females. I mean, guys wrestle with these things all the time, too, with the definitions that we have of success and, and providing and failure, with the things that we think we desire financially and sexually and all other ways. We listen to the poisonous lies of the world all the time, and we fill our minds with garbage and worldly lies that tell us to perform in this way. We measure ourselves up against everything else. What other people have, what other people look like, what other people's marriages are like, et cetera, et cetera, you can run on a list. They're poisonous, and they're deceitful, and they're lies. When we begin to meditate on God's truth and God's word, we begin to cultivate a different set of desires. God, what does true success look like? What if the only definition of failure was me not being obedient to you? What if I began to meditate on God's word about what it means for God to be my rock and my salvation? Churning over and over in my mind, God, why do I keep leaning on myself for strength? Why do I keep trying to perform for the people around me so I think I'm worthwhile? Christian medication, meditation, Christian meditation, when coupled with this desire to transform the things that I want to be the things of God, the things that God wants, is earth-shattering. And as I look at this text, what I realize that Paul was calling the Philippians to was something very, very real. To listen, in the middle of difficulty and struggle, in the middle of a life that is really hard, what I don't want you to do is box your way out of it, fight your way through it. What I want you to do is meditate on God's truth and let that change what you want. And what you see, when we begin to meditate on God's truth, on his word, it begins to change what I desire and what I see. I begin to develop godly aspirations and godly desires. And Paul says with a promise, and I'll wrap it all up right here. Paul says, and gives us a promise in this. He says, and this will be transforming. Listen to what Paul says at the very end of that. And he says, and the God, and when we do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You remember the promise Paul gave us last week that if we live these ways, cultivating a life of joy, living gently, not worrying or being anxious, but presenting our request to God, those four things, what what did Paul say that promise was going to be? Then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That was the promise, that the peace of God. Did you notice the difference in what Paul just said about these? And the God of peace will be with you. This is how important Paul's saying these things are. That not just the peace of God, which he promised a few verses ago, but if we begin to think this way, to begin to cultivate this mindset, meditate on God's word, what will happen? The God that creates all peace will draw near to you, will be with you. It's not just a promise that you'll feel better. It's a promise that God himself will be with you. Why is that? Because you are intentionally spending time, deep time, with God in his word. And so it's not just about feeling better about yourself. It's about the fact that the God of the universe will draw near to you when we open his word and say, God, I want to know you. This promise is even greater than the one before. Because if the goal of our lives is just simply to find peace, it's going to be a long journey. But if the goal of our Christian life is to find the God and meet the God that creates all peace, that's a true aspiration. What I'm going to challenge you to do this week is I'm going to challenge you to turn your world upside down a little bit. To get, get away from and do away with whatever kind of devotional life you thought you have, or maybe you don't have one at all. Maybe you use this as an excuse to say, God, this week is you and your word only. 
And I'm not going to try and read seven chapters of whatever just to get through it. I'm going to take one word, one verse, and I'm going to turn it over in my head all the time. I promise you it's revolu- it will be revolutionizing to you to begin to meditate and think upon what it might mean to be beloved, to have God as your rock, to understand God's faithfulness, to understand his trust and love. Open that Bible up, find a verse, and say, God, change me with this. Help me think differently. I want to meet you in the process. And the God of peace will be with you in Christ Jesus. So close our time in prayer, close our time in worship this morning. What I want you to say is this. I want you to say, God, am I spending time with you? Am I meditating on your truth? Or am I engaging in just Christian activity for the sake of doing it? This is something I don't do well. And I'm challenging myself to do differently so that I can know the heartbeat of God for my life. Meditation is vital to the Christian life. Christian meditation is vital to the Christian life as we cultivate godly aspirations and desires. Let's pray.